Welcome to episode 254 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. The launch date for my new book, Small List, Big Results, Launch a Successful Offer No Matter the Size of Your Email List, is in just a couple of weeks on Sunday, October 31st. I started writing this book three years ago. I knew even then that I needed to connect with my intended audience as I was writing the first draft. Too often, entrepreneurs stumble upon a problem they think they can solve and create the solution without any input from the people they are hoping to help. If I had done that, this book would be very different. The content, the flow, the exercises, the stories, the cover, even the title would have been all different and likely not resonated with my intended audience. As I near completion of the manuscript, I started to workshop the title by sharing it with my network in various Facebook groups. I made it clear that my ideal reader was an entrepreneurial woman in her 50s or beyond. The title I started with was Small List and Big Ambition, Leverage Your Network to Grow Your Business. Turns out, Women over 45 did not particularly identify with the word ambition. I then tested small list big goals and heard loud and clear that my ideal reader has enough goals. What they are looking for are results. Then there was a debate about whether or not to include the exclamation point with small list big results. And you can see that I landed with no exclamation point. Meanwhile, I realized that the subtitle was not going to attract the right readers The term leverage your network is common for books written for job seekers. Also, the word leverage wasn't quite right for my audience. They preferred engage. Finally, I realized that my subtitle needed to clearly articulate the little p problem that my ideal reader experiences, not my solution. My ideal reader thinks the size of their email list is the reason they are not able to find clients. They are not looking for a solution that involves reaching out to their existing network to discover likely prospects and likely referral partners. That, in a nutshell, is what I learned over a couple of weeks by testing my title with my network. It also was a great way to start building interest in my book even before the manuscript was finished. I did something very similar to test my book cover design, and while I love the result, it wasn't my first choice, but I'm not my ideal reader. Are you your ideal client? If not, then be careful not to overemphasize what you like and be sure to listen to what your ideal clients and likely prospects are telling you. Your challenge this week. Are you willing to commit to writing an honest Amazon review in a timely manner? Sign up from book launch team, robbysamuels.com forward slash book launch. This book will show you how to stop struggling to find an audience for your offers, how to discover likely prospects from your network who already know, like, and trust you, how to create an irresistible offer, and how to turn that offer into a profitable new revenue stream. Please join my book launch team, robbysamuels.com forward slash book launch and commit to writing an Amazon review in a timely manner. Here are some of the reasons you may want to support me and the success of this book. One, you've appreciated and perhaps even benefited from my show up and add value philosophy. Two, you are excited about the topic and plan to try out these strategies in your business. Three, you're looking forward to seeing the behind the scenes of a strategic book launch. Sign up for the book launch at robbysamuels.com forward slash book launch. I look forward to reading your review. Thank you for helping me get this book out into the world. Now, 
onto this week's interview. Today's guest believes relationships are the assets that always yield the greatest returns, maximizing lifelong happiness and fulfillment. With his background in cognitive science and psychology, he understands knowing how to initiate quality relationships is a must for any professional, particularly when searching for a job, recruiting new talent to your workplace, exploring acquisition opportunities, building new sales relationships, and so on. He's the founder of Cogent Connections, a young sales consulting and marketing firm that helps businesses build genuine, thoughtful, and productive professional relationships. He helps you connect with the right people, initiate productive conversations, and nurture your network. Please join me in welcoming Chris Giddings. Thank you, Robbie. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for joining me from your place in Princeton, New Jersey, which these days is not far from where I'm living. I recently moved to the Philly suburbs, which is uh, a big deal for me and my family from the Boston area originally for the last 20 years. So um, this is cool. This show, as you know, is about building strong networks, but the context is leadership. So tell me, how do you define leadership? And when did you realize you had the skills to lead? That's a great question. Um, I think leadership is something that requires a bit of courage and a bit of willingness to take risks. Um, it's hard to start a business. It's hard to get to a point where you are, you, you tell yourself, I can one, take responsibility for people around me. And two, I feel like I did, deserves the chance to, to take that opportunity. And it's something actually, in my case, I never actually decided to become a business owner. It kind of something that happened to me. And I think that's a story that's shared by many people who started businesses during the pandemic. Um, and so I've kind of learned leadership through the process of needing to lead, um, where I was put in situations where I, I, you know, just started working with people and had to figure out how to coordinate them. And, um, it requires you to be willing to put yourself out there to take responsibility and to accept, you know, risks, for example, risk of rejection. Rejection was something I really struggled with um, and still struggle with to a degree even now, um, but especially before I started my business. And um, those are risks and, th and fears you have to confront when, when you assume leadership roles. So that would be, you know, something I, I would say is a big component. So, so Chris, uh, you and I were talking a little before we got started here. Uh, you're 25. You've had this business now for a year. You've already grown into like 13 team members. Caught my eye, um, clearly, just from a few people that you and I had in common. So I'm curious, though, because clearly it doesn't just start from a year ago. Like you had to already have been on a certain path for you to have seen certain opportunities and for you to have taken action, regardless of your own concern about rejection. <laughs> Um, almost in, in the face of that concern, you were like, I'm still going to make this happen. So what were you like when you were younger? Like, think, t like take us back to like grade school, like, like the playground, you know, are you watching? Are you, you know, organizing the kids? Are you like, you know, the first pick, the last pick, like running for school office, like, you know, class president, like what, what kind of world were you living in back then? A great question. So I, um, as a kid, I was the last kid picked on the team. I'll tell you that. I grew up with um, many symptoms of ADHD um, that, you know, I kind of wore proudly on my shoulder, <laughs> um, which only kind of exasperated some of the uh, challenges I faced. Um, I did not have hyperactivity. Um, and again, nobody would know anything about this meeting me as an adult. Um, 
And, and that kind of led to the initial field I went into, which was clinical psychology. Um, you might see, you know, looking at my, my, my history. Um, but I had attention problems and I also had a keen lack of social awareness. And, you know, I was that kid who in math class, I love math, I love history, um, especially history more and more. I'm always uh, watching and reading uh, history. Um, who would, you know, always raise their hand in class, always want to share the answers to questions, always ask interesting questions in class. But in doing so, kind of ostracized myself. Um, I had nervous tics. Um, I remember uh, I had this thing where I'd sit in class and I'd constantly want to look at the back two corners of the classroom I'd be sitting in. Or I'd turn my head one way and go all the way to the back the other side. And then I'd turn my head all the way to the other side, look to the other back corner of the room. And I'd constantly clearing off my desk. And um, those are the kinds of behaviors collectively that kind of leave you as something of a social outcast. So I wasn't just avoided. I was actively harassed um, pretty much from kindergarten through eighth grade. Um, because I actually went to a K-8 school. <laughs> so nine years directly at that. And I think the thing that kind of separated me out was that I, um, most kids who get, you know, bullied a lot, it brings them down. They develop a low self-esteem, uh, you know, self-esteem. And um, it leads to lifelong struggles. And I'm actually, oddly enough, kind of grateful for my experience. Um, it when you're put in that kind of situation, you have to find a way to rationalize it in your head. You need to find a way to go, okay, here's, I'm going to survive this. Here's why I'm a good person. Here's why you know, everything is how it is. And for me, um, I developed a resiliency out of that experience where I became pretty good at shrugging things off and pretty good at taking abuse, um, which was, you know, I wasn't physically abused, just, just uh, you know, emotionally or, or verbally. And um, I think that made me a stronger person. Um, thankfully, right after I got out of middle school, I mean, I went through puberty. And that has a big impact. You know, the prefrontal cortex develops in puberty. It's the last part of your brain to really reach maturity. And I developed, you know, a keen social awareness that I'd been lacking before. And I realized why people thought of me the way they did. And um, I began making friends and um, having healthier relationships with people. Um, like, I mean, my peers specifically and, um, you know, just having a, a happier life. And, uh, from there, things have been great. So I've, I've, you know, great friends, great family, um, great people I do business with, uh, ultimately very positive. Um, I think the last thing this has left me with is I'm, I'm a very like resiliently positive person. I'll go out of my way to, you know, show people, make it really unequivocally clear how I feel about them, that I enjoy spending time with them. I, I, I like them because I know how it felt before not knowing how people like it, you develop this kind of paranoia around, you know, what do people think of you? And I don't want, I want people to feel at ease around me. And I, it's really important to me. I want to make sure that my body language and my, my language communicate that exactly. And it helps, you know, people feel like, you know, they're supportive. There's so much to unpack here, but it's also an incredible origin story. Like it really, um, it's, it's, it's sort of interesting because on one hand, you're like, this seems like a person who would, who would shun relationship building. <laughs> and yet you really, it, it became interesting to you and introspective and like learning about the why. And then you went into like clinical psychology and just learning about um, behavior in a different way. 
um, I, I was pressed many years ago, maybe now like six, seven years ago to share my origin story. And I, at that time, maybe it was five years ago, I was, I was busy teaching people how to network and particularly people who have a lot of reluctance around that and who largely do not identify the way I do. I am an outgoing extrovert and I generally was talking to people who were not. And, you know, I was trying to explain why I did what I did because usually it's the, I used to be just like you, I found this other way forward and now I wanna show you how, right? Like there's a very common narrative around why we do what we do as entrepreneurs. And I didn't have the, I used to be shy. I was, <laughs> I was never shy, but I flashed to a memory in camp and uh, this was my welcome email for, for, for many years. I would explain to people about not feeling welcome. So it was all about walking up to a group of campers and trying to find my way in. And they, they were, you know, standing in a tight circle. And, you know, probably my adult brain will tell you they didn't even notice me. Um, but my kid brain, like they didn't include me, right? Like um, people can be friendly without being welcoming. And it was sort of like that. And I realized like, that that idea of not fitting in, not belonging, you know, I, that was my desire. That was my reason for being inclusive in the way I build community. So it sounds like you have that sort of much, even deeper than I did understanding of that life. Um, and now you also have the science and the psychology to kind of back up the why. I mean, you're talking about like the prefrontal cortex. I'm like, one day my kids will actually know. <laughs> one day. <laughs> right now they're like very much not in that space, <laughs> three and five years old. Um, so did any of your teachers or any adults recognize like some positive traits about you? Like you said you were, you were a person who liked, you know, speaking up and, you know, you obviously enjoyed certain topics. Did you have anyone that you were able to see maybe as a role model or who saw potential in you in some way? Yeah. Um, I was extremely fortunate in that um, I, I grew up around kids in a grade that were actually known by the teachers, like they had a reputation for being a particularly difficult creative student to work with because um, there was, you know, a lot of people who were harassers, but um, all of the teachers were very aware and they, you know, they saw my strengths and they supported me throughout um, pretty much everyone I've ever worked with um, from a teaching perspective. I have so many teachers I'm grateful to. Um, several come to mind, um, but one in particular who I'm particularly grateful for, to or for is um, this guy named Mark Shelley, who um, was my history teacher in high school, actually. Um, he's unique and he's the first teacher I ever had in high school and the last. The first period of my first day of school, I, I was in his classroom and the last period of my last day of high school, I was also in his classroom. And um, he was my history teacher. And he really helped me unlock and explore my love of studying history, which again, kind of ties into human behavior. Um, our brains as human beings haven't changed much now versus even 5,000 years ago, right? So you look at people put in weird and interesting and exotic situations that we can't relate to as modern humans and we see how they behave and we can learn from their experiences. And they had such a variety of experiences. One, because you're looking at people from all you know, parts of society, all over the world at all times, right? You're looking at the similarities and the differences. And of course, the, the lens through which you see that history is that of the historian, right? And also the record keepers of the time. So you have at least two layers that you have to kind of push through to, to learn those stories. Um, in many cases, sometimes you can actually you know, learn from people directly. 
but um, that was something I deeply enjoyed. Um, history, I think many people shy away from it because in school they're instilled this sense of needing to remember dates and names of individuals. So I'm terrible with names. I'm terrible with dates. Um, but I, you know, really thrived in my history courses because I enjoyed the stories. A lot of, you know, real life history is just as exciting, if not more exciting than Game of Thrones or Star Wars or Lord of the Rings or any of these franchises that I'm personally huge fans of and, you know, fervently consumed. Um, real life history has many of those same stories. Um, like as an example, and I'll, I'll stop talking after this. But um, I was recently learning for the first time about the life of Julius Caesar. And I know it's a popular because the story is so crazy, but I had never really learned about it. And I you know, went through learning his whole life and was just blown away. And this is like in the last like month, <laughs> just all the crazy things he went through. And of course, the change it, you know, is the transition of Rome from a republic to an imperial, you know, government system. And that's a monumental change for the, at the time, the world's most powerful country. Um, and it was all really through, it intertwined with the life of this one individual and the things that he learned and his mistakes and his hubris and his strengths and, and, and the stories of all the people around him whose stories intersect with one another and with him. It was just like this crazy, crazy melody that just the incredulousness of the story surpassed anything I've ever read in terms of fiction. I'm like, oh my gosh, do people even know this happened? Like, of course they do, but do they <laughs> realize just the narrative that exists here? Um, well, I, I think your, uh, your history geek flag is flying very high. It, your, your love of history has not gone away. Um, I'm, I want to move us forward a little bit to, to more present day. Uh, wow, I just made a pun without intending to. So, um, uh, all right. So you, you, get, you manage your way through high school, you hit puberty, you start making friends, you go to college clearly because you love this advanced knowledge. And you graduate before the pandemic. So you, you're done with school and you've got a couple of years. Did you have a sense going into college or at some point in college, like what you wanted to do with your life? Was there a, a path? Yeah. So I, I knew before college, I wanted to study the human brain. I was just fascinated by human behavior. And it's one of those frontiers that is, as of yet, largely unexplored we still know so little about how our own minds work. And they're the lens through which we experience everything that exists in the world. Um, it's incredible. And it, it, the brain is so incredible in that you don't even notice it's there between you and your experiences, right? Um, like for example, and this is a really weak example, but in your vision, at all times there's a blind spot um, where this one nerve you know, intersects with a portion of your eye. And you, nobody knows about this blind spot until you're told that you have one. <laughs> because your brain is actively photoshopping your memory in real or your, your, your vision in real time and making you have the sense that you can actually see everything around you, right? We have those experiences emotionally um, in sensory ways in all facets of our life um, in terms of our memories, right? There's all kinds of cognitive fallacies that we call them. And there's still a lot we just really don't understand. And I wanted to be part of the discovery process. So that was a key driver for me. And then, of course, you need to turn that love into something practical. <laughs> so it's either you go into, in, in the field of studying the brain, there are several different branches you can go down. One is biology. Your brain's made out of billions of, of neurons, as well as other things. And um, you can do that. Um, there's cognitive science, which is the study of cognition, how your, your mind you know, takes 
you know, break down thoughts and ideas and, and organizes information. And then there's psychology, which is a more practical application of how we understand human behavior in terms of, you know, how we can treat people with particular needs, um, how we can support even like teach businesses, how to do business better, how to, you know, things that are, I guess, more directly applicable. So cognitive science is a lot of applicable things too. So of course, me being me, I picked all of them. I have a minor in biology, majored in cognitive science and psychology. And um, what kind of got to me actually was one of my teachers inviting me to participate in the summer program where I would work with ADHD kids at the Cleveland Clinic. And um, I immediately took that opportunity up. And um, well, I, I took the opportunity to apply. Uh, she's like, you should, you should apply to this program. And I did, and I got in. And I worked with these kids. And then I decided I was going to become a clinical psychologist working with kids with ADHD. Um, I could relate to them on a special level because, of course, it was something I grew up with. And it, one of the important things to know about ADHD is it's not one, not one experience. Um, it's not even necessarily a disease. It, it, that's just something that's currently really just being de um, debated. Um, but it's, it's really a, it's a label put on a wide range of different experiences people have. As I shared, I don't have hyperactivity. I never did, right? Also, I had a lot of symptoms as a child that I don't struggle with now. And these kids also had a variety of, of things they're struggling with. Some of them were quite hyper. Some of them, you know, had attention difficulties. Some of them had social awareness difficulties. Some of them had other difficulties with some interesting mix. They express themselves in different ways. And they, what I did at the Cleveland Clinic was I helped people with behavioral training. So it's creating situations um, for these kids that they're going to be put in in the real lives, um, recreational activities, classroom settings, and just other real life situations, and then helping them manage their behaviors in those situations. Um, so again, I'm going to, I ramble a lot, so I'm going to cut myself yeah. off here. I'm, I'm going to say thank you. That, uh, and you know, a little, a little tip that I've learned for those who are listening, um, for because I produce virtual events. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And now we're going to. Um, so, but I, I do. I mean, it sounds like you're you're full of like life. Like you feel like a person who's really excited about the things you're excited about, and. Yeah in the midst of a pandemic uh, last year, it sounds like you got this idea to create something. And, I'll, and this is what caught my eye. I know you mentioned before recording that you might be going through some rebranding, but um, your website says, we help you engage and grow your professional network, a down to earth approach to conversation generation for sales and talent recruitment applications. And I mean, I am all about nurturing networks. I, like it's one of the questions I ask on my show every time. And so, um, and I and I like technology. I, I'm I'm not a person who has gone deep into it. I haven't created my own app or anything like that. But I truly like the idea of leveraging technology to serve a purpose and keeping track. I mean, I'm always trying to figure out how to keep track of everybody. I mean, I I I I've learned a zillion options for how to do it. And I always tell people I'm agnostic about what you use as long as you use it. <laughs> like it could be a CRM or a stack of index cards. I don't care. Just will you use it? And I and I, you know, just know so many people. So um, I was really keen about that. So there's a way in which your story arcs because clearly you were going in one direction. You were headed. <laughs> yeah, maybe arc is the wrong word. Maybe it's just like right turns. Um, you had a plan you were going to go in that one direction and now suddenly you're in a business setting you're talking about business relationships 
you're help, talking about sales and you're dabbling, not just dabbling, but you're, you're in technology, right? Like you're, you're not just talking about the human brain, but you're talking about the tech that goes with it. Is there a person in your life that kind of helps with that right turn? Is there someone you met that like led to this inspiration? Um, well, actually, the reason I started my business was become because someone asked me to. I had a, a company that I uh, was friendly with, and um, the leader of the sales team um, knew me pretty well. And I'd actually, you know, worked at a marketing firm um, before I started my own firm. So I, I switched from cognitive science to um, marketing. Um, I found I found a job opportunity in marketing when I decided I didn't want to go to grad school for for clinical psychology. And um, I had that experience and that company actually closed down when COVID hit. Um, and so I was without a job and um, I had a bunch of professional relationships because I was a business development person. I was going around meeting people and I was learning pretty much through doing, through seeing the problems that businesses were facing and seeing the things, you know, helping them implement solutions and seeing what succeeded and what didn't succeed. And then, you know, growing up with those experiences. Um, so when the company closed down, um, one of the you know, people who I was close with um, reached out to me and, and said, hey, Chris, you know, I, I know where you're at and um, I want to encourage you to try this. <laughs> it's really, I, it, as I told you, I'm someone who even at that point didn't have the um, mindset where I had the strength to pursue something where I, at the age of 23, I could knock on some business's door and say, hey, do you need any sales and marketing help? And they would go, well, what are your qualifications? And I could say, well, I worked at, I nine months at a contractor at a marketing firm. They'd say, go away. You know, <laughs> those aren't real qualifications. Get out of here. So I was like, how could I even start this? I, I knew I wanted to do something, but I didn't know where to start. And I credit this one individual for everything um, because they forced me on my feet where I started servicing them for free. And then I kind of scrambled to figure out, you know, how do I, how do I set up an LLC? How do I create a service agreement? How do I create a payment process? What should I even charge people for my services? How do I organize all of this? And uh, it kind of led to me developing a philosophy of learning through doing and everything that I do and being very forward about it. Where if someone approaches me and they say, hey, I was wondering if you could help me solve this problem. I'll say, I haven't done this before, but I really want to help you solve this and work on it together. And this is a great opportunity. Will you allow me to do this? And most of the time, thankfully, due to the people I work with and, and the relationship I have with them, they're like, yeah, let's, let's figure it out together. And then I develop a new skill and we go above and beyond in delivering for that person. And it leads to them being open to trying out, trying that risk out with us again, essentially. Um, yeah, this person who, who inspired you to do this, it, have they been an ongoing mentor to you? Or is it really just a colleague who was like, go do it? <laughs> it, it, it was essentially, you know, they're a new client. Um, it was a very, it was very much a business thing where they wanted some help. They thought I could help them. And, um, I started the business and they're just a client of mine, to be honest. Um, they, they, when they, when the business first started, they kind of saw themselves as responsible for me, So they immediately helped me meet people, um, which was okay. incredible. So I'm going to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put them in the mentor category then for you, Chris. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I guess so. But yeah. I, I had many, I've had several mentors who I've, I've, I've you know, created a, with some people called board of directors with who um, oh, have been valuable um, in my career, who I would not be able to do what I'm doing without. And that person is definitely one of them. Yeah. So talk a little bit, actually, uh, I, I love when people talk about having a board of directors or uh, kitchen cabinet or whatever, you know, whatever people call it these days. But um, yeah, tell me a little bit more about how you think about who to ask. Like, how do you know 
what kind of skills or persons personalities you need um, surrounding you. So I think one of the, the first key things when you go into the business that's really important is knowing what you don't know and being very forward with yourself about that. <laughs> that's something I think you know, probably a lot of people struggle with. And I even struggle with, but I think I like to think more cognizant than, than most about recognizing that I don't know things, being very forward about it. So um, I, I kind of came across people organically and I really value people who share my sense of optimism and just a genuine character that they wear on their sleeves. Um, I just looked at my clients and my employees and in my uh, advisors. So when I've come across those people, I pretty much you know, tell them, hey, I've grabbed on. I'm not letting go. Just let you know, we're, we're friends now. We're gonna, I'm going to keep asking you questions about these things. It's oftentimes you go and call people and they say, hey, well, if you need, ever need help with blank and blank, let me know. And then no one ever actually takes them up on that offer. I, I always make sure to know, hey, I am that person, that one in however many people who's actually going to reach back out to asking for this help. So be emotionally prepared, <laughs> that, mm-hmm. knowing them to do so. And I guess the key thing is, is actually taking people up on it. Um, I, you know, I, I tell people this all the time, but most people just really don't take those opportunities um, where people are. Yeah. I, I'm just, I'm curious. Cause you said earlier that you have this like fear of, of rejection. Yeah. Um, and I know, you know, a lot of people talk about it. They wish they had a mentor or they were assigned a mentor, but it didn't, nothing really happens. Right. Cause like, it's not about being assigned a mentor, right. It's about developing a relationship, but they don't get that. And a lot of what I think holds people back is like that fear of asking for too much or like asking the wrong thing or not wanting to bother people or just basically it's rejection. And yeah. so if you're a person who like comes in with that, how are you overcoming that? Is it just because you started to see people were willing to give back once you asked? Well, that's a great question. And it's true that I am fearful. Um, but, but the reality is it's much harder for me to, let's say I realize I have a problem. Or I don't, for example, I don't know how to price my services. Or I don't know the basics of how to build a company culture. Right? These are two things I needed to learn very early on. Um, I need someone to turn to for help. I don't have anybody. So I'd much rather go to the person who offered the help and who I've already pre-qualified and said, hey, just let, you know, I'm going to reach back out to you about this versus someone out of the blue. Right? It's much easier. So I'm trying to make this jump as easy for myself as possible and minimize the chances of someone saying no, but also more importantly than that, building a relationship where they are excited, you know, to assist me and, and they want to be part of my journey and they've said as much. And then also finally, making sure that I have a reciprocal relationship where it's, if I'm, if someone's helping me, I'm either paying them or I'm able to deliver back to them just as much as they're delivering to me, if, if hopefully, you know, not more. Um, and sometimes it can be hard to measure those things because, you know, you might be giving me uh, canoes and I might be giving you apples, right? Completely uh, non-interchangeable goods. But, um, you know, um, the best kind of relationships are ones where you give 110%, the other person gives 110%, and you, neither person really expects anything of the other person. So if someone comes to me and they say, you know, I like you and I want to support you in your career, and that inherently adds value for me, I'm not going to stop there. I'm, I'm not going to stop and just take what they offer. I'm going to you know, make sure I'm giving back in the, with that same free flowing, you know, love, <laughs> professional yeah. love that they're extending to me. So it sounds like things grew very quickly. You had mentioned to me that you now have a team of 13. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what can you give me like the, you know, the, the quick synopsis of what it is you offer? Yeah. So um, we offer 
a range of services. So I'll keep it really short. One is um, I provide people and companies uh, advice and support building their LinkedIn strategy, um, helping them use LinkedIn to um, one, build their brand, but two, initiate productive relationships. And that's a key thing, right? There are right and wrong ways to initiate a relationship with someone for whom you believe you can add value. And there's a lot of nuance to that. Um, another whole side of my business is just general marketing. Um, we are all in our early 20s. We're all remote. And what this allows us to do is offer services to companies at a much lower cost than any other marketing firms can. So if you are someone just in your first year of business trying to figure things out and you know you need some help with your marketing process, but normally wouldn't be able to afford to engage somebody, we're an approachable resource. People on my team have a variety of skill sets from graphic design and copywriting to website design to analytics. And so different people can step in who have different areas of expertise to assist people even, you know, on for half an hour. <laughs> That's all they need, right? Um, and because of that, we're also, we like to collaborate with other marketing firms quite frequently because they don't really see us as a competitor. Um, we kind of supplement one another in, in different areas. That's very cool. And obviously those are, are um, skills and resources that people need on a regular basis. There's been a lot of people having to reinvent and pivot and just discover new ways of being in the world because of the last year and a half, there's been a lot of upheaval. Um, yeah. My, I had spent 10 years creating uh, expertise and, and being recognized as an expert around networking, but it was really about networking at conferences. And then at was the operative word. We were no longer at events. <laughs> we were online and I uh, had to come up with a new, a new way. And I did, I mean, I, I very quickly actually shifted things um, but I knew for a lot of other people, well, there's a shifting things that I will say I had to do a lot of rebranding, um, to make sure my network knew what I was now doing. So I totally get what you're trying to offer. Um, I, I'm so curious how you think about, I mean, you've talked a lot about offering value and, and sort of giving back and like reciprocal and all that, but as you're building these relationships, like how do you nurture and sustain not your closest circle per se, but like that second and third layer, second and third tier out, you know, the people that you, you know, don't necessarily work with week to week, but you know, you see either seasonally or once a year, or you knew them five years ago through a different role in life entirely, but you yep. liked each other. That's the key thing. you liked each other. Yeah. So do you have any habits, practices, philosophies around sort of how to nurture and sustain sort of your larger network? I have, I have two. Um, one is um, a tool actually called UpHabit. Um, it's, a, it's a company started by a friend of mine, Neil Wainwright. And UpHabit is a personal CRM. <laughs> so it's a tool, it's on your phone, and it allows you to set reminders to keep in touch with people. So for example, if you have you know, a family member, I have grandparents who I like to keep in touch with. And um, a good way for me to do that is to set monthly reminders that I should reach out and say hello if I haven't done so already. And the app allows me to keep track of that. If I have friends from high school, I want to reach back after friends from college or, you know, friends from a different part of the country um, that I've lived in previously. Um, that's a great way to just remind myself, hey, I need to reach back out because you can't expect other people to do so. They get busy, just like you're busy, right? You have, if you, again, it requires 100% effort from both sides, but that starts with you. Um, then the other thing I strongly recommend to folks is remember that your network is filled with people who are invested in you, who care about you and want to be updated on your journey. They want to keep track of, of what you're up to and what you have going on. And a monthly newsletter 
is a really great way to do that. Make a personal monthly newsletter. It's monthly so that it's not overwhelming. Um, make sure it's only often. So you reach out to your friends first and ask them, like, hey, is it okay if you, you know, if I can add you to my newsletter? Because, you know, here's what it's about. Um, I'd like to be part of my, my you know, networking experience. One thing I also encourage my, the people I work with is to include personal stories in their newsletters. Do not be afraid to open themselves up personally because you have a personal brand as well as a professional brand. Sometimes those are the same thing. Sometimes they're not. Even if you're like a business development person at a larger company or a salesperson, you are a brand still within that larger entity. And that should be a brand that you're nurturing the same way you're nurturing your company's brand. Um, well, a lot of that resonates with me. Um, I don't think you're actually on my... Oh, no, you are on my weekly email since you joined my my weekly event. I am. Um, that's right. So I do stories. I do a lot of stories for years now. And a lot of those stories do involve my life. You know, it's my kids, my garden, my running, um, my house hunting, like what, whatever's going on in my life. And I just figure out how to make it into an interesting business or life lesson. Um, and I really do think people appreciate that. I get a lot of great feedback. Those stories are now being woven into a book that's coming out right around the time that this uh, is airing. It will be like right in the throes of um, building the launch team, actually. So, so reach out to me, folks, if you want to be part of that great experience. So, yeah, it's, it's really neat to think about um, these tools. You've also brought two specific options I've not heard, uh, which, is, which I love five years in, right? I love you know, when people say something new. One, I'd never heard of Up Habit, so we'll, we'll look for it. We'll get a link. We'll put the link in the show notes so people can definitely check that out. And then I also love the idea of a personal um, newsletter, if, even if you're not like doing one for business, but just more of a keeping people posted. And, you know, I guess there's a variety of that where people do that around the holidays, right? They do the whole exactly. like Christmas thing and, and my yeah, family yeah. does do that. Um, and people like actually email me to tell me they got the letter and how touched they were. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, I don't know. Maybe folks out there, if, you ha- if you're not doing anything... Maybe start with an annual letter. If you're doing an annual letter, maybe go to quarterly. If you you know, then maybe have a goal that you get to the point where you're, you're updating your, your network on a more regular basis. And I love the philosophy that you're coming at. You're saying there are people who want to help you, who want to see you succeed, and vice versa. Um, I have a belief that 80% of the people you need to know to be successful, you've already met. Right? That's just like you know, a lot of us think of networking as a thing where we're always meeting new people or always out there like throwing a business card around. No, it's like you've actually probably met most of the people you need to know. It's just about activating that network. It's about engaging. It's about people letting people know what you need. So when I went from, you know, really helping people design in-person events to producing virtual events, I needed to help, I needed to help my network know what kind of referrals I needed. And so a lot of that was rebranding, putting out content, right? It's like a whole thing, but it takes effort. And I think a lot of people shy away from things that take effort. So um, I'm curious, were you, like, did you have, it sounds like you have all the right skill sets. As you shifted into doing this work, as opposed to what you've been doing two, three years ago, you had a rebranding to do as well. Like, did your network come along with you? Did you find that difficult to do? Is your network now very clued into what you do? Yeah. So my network from three years ago, um, well, I, I was in college three years ago. I was graduating. So um, it, it's really not applicable. Um, I started my network fresh when I started my business. 
So I started from scratch um, first with those introductions that that you know, first individual made for me. And then um, trying to, I'm, I'm based in, again, Central Jersey, so I started trying to network locally. And I got very lucky um, meeting a custom suit tailor <laughs> who uh, I happened to you know, share my business plans with. And not only did he decide to work with me, but also he introduced me to some key folks that happened to network a lot. And that led to me joining some networking groups online. Of course, during the pandemic, honestly, it was a golden age for online networking. Everyone's so accessible. Um, and so I was jumping around, meeting people so quickly. I actually sometimes had to cut myself off and be like, I need to do some other work as well. I was meeting so many wonderful people. And, you know, just within a few months, um, I got to the point where I had a really help, healthy network of people who I really care about and have been working with and look forward to having professional relationships with, you know, not even in the client capacity, but in a you know, networking partner capacity for, for many years to come. That's awesome. I, I agree that uh, I met, I really feel like I met more people and developed deeper relationships with them in the last, you know, year than I had the previous three. Like it just, um, different. I don't know, people who showed up really showed up, you know, and particularly if they showed up regularly, um, and my hosting a weekly event, I think really made a difference in that, in that aspect, you know, creating a community within that. Um, so I, I want to know kind of where, where you're going now with all this, you know, if we were to meet and be, you know, talking about your amazing success and toasting you and, you know, like really being like, wow, what a year it's been, right? So let's say it's 12 months from now. And we're like, what a year, my gosh, Chris, what are we going to be celebrating? Like, what are you most looking forward to in the year ahead? You bet. So um, there, are, there are two key things. One is navigating the transition from virtual work to mixed. Uh, it'll always be hybrid for us. I love the benefits afforded by working virtually. It's all I've ever known in this job. And um, I'd like to maintain that to some degree um, in terms of being able to build genuine relationships with people I can't meet in person. Right? I don't want to limit myself to people I can drive to. And there's so many wonderful people out there all over the place. But also, um, so, so meeting people, um, you know, doing more in-person networking, setting up an in-person location is key. And then the other thing I'm really looking to expand into is getting to a point where I can, or my business can support a business from inception in many facets. So we can help people build a sales strategy, help them build their brand, and help them plan their budget and incorporate, uh, create a strategy that supports people and in incorporating all those things together um, because, you know, we're cost approachable. So we can work with people others can't. And again, they really want the help and they're, they're looking for partners. And I don't want to just help them. I want to help them with all the things that they need that they can do themselves to be successful. I am never going to be your operational expert who's going to help you figure out how to manufacture your hot sauce or the hot sauce company. But I can help you figure out how to get, you know, how to get customers lined up and make sure your brand reflects your values and, you know, entices your customers and make sure that, you know, it all falls within your financial roadmap. And um, those are kind of the three facets we want to be, you know, strong in going into the next year. Um, I can't wait to celebrate all that with you. And now I'm kind of curious because you've alluded to this, but haven't really said it out loud. What is your ideal client? Like who, who do you want to work with in, you know, do that wraparound services? Yeah. Um, so pretty much any, any small business, um, B2B or B2C that is looking for help and needs a cost approachable strategy. It really can be anyone. I work with such a wide variety of companies. And the thing that gets me up every morning, gets my team up every morning 
is trying to solve new and interesting problems for people. Like um, I had a, a kid's shoe company come to me recently and they're trying to do a direct sales model with these very interesting custom shoes that you can paint. So they have a patent for shoes that are also art projects. So imagine selling parents on, on shoes for their you know, five-year-old kids that the kids can paint beforehand and then wear around, you know, out in public. Um, creating a strategy behind that. And it's just fun. It's interesting to learn. Um, and so those are, you know, working with genuine, quirky, fun, interesting people, is something I, I love. Um, and my team loves, we're, we're here for those experiences. We see, you know, we spend a third of our life working, it better be a good time, right? Um, and then the other funny thing is we also do a lot of work with large businesses as well, specifically for B2B. So if you are, you know, creating a strategy for active selling, um, I, you know, will give talks, um, I'll work with teams to help them develop strategies and even offer supportive services that, you know, can take some of the workload off of them um, and, and reaching their active outreach goals. So um, those are those are the two categories. Um, and for, you know, B2B, that can be private equity groups, manufacturers, um, oftentimes other marketing firms will, will use us to, um, you know, to support their own clients or fractional CMOs, um, people who are fractional anything for companies, they can pull us in to help them with a project. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's really small companies and then any company that's B2B. That's amazing. It's, it, it's, it kind of flies in the face of, you know, niche, 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 but it sounds like it, it's a creative piece that keeps you going. Um, you keep learning. You're, you're still kind of a young organization. So you're probably also still figuring out like, who do you love working with the most out of all the people you could work with? Right. Um, and it sounds like you've landed yourself into a really great network. I really enjoyed meeting with you and I would love to hear how people can find you and follow your work. What are the best ways for people to connect with you? Um, one is to find us on LinkedIn. Uh, just type in Cogent Connections. That's two words. Um, you'll, you'll see us there. We have a page that we're going to be posting to more regularly. Um, you can also find me on Facebook at Chris Giddings um, or on Twitter at uh, Clean Sweep 7, the Harry Potter reference, the name of a broom. Um, those are all places you can find Fantastic. We will put all those links in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Chris, thank you so much for having this conversation with us. It was a real joy. Thank you again. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Chris. Such a pleasure to speak with him and learn about his leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 254. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's show, as well as all the archived episodes. Reach out and let me know which are your favorite interviews. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with that one friend you know would love to hear it. And don't forget to subscribe for free yourself so you don't miss next week's show. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review in Apple Podcasts. It's easy to find our page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance and look forward to connecting again next week. I'll be interviewing another talent professional who's achieved success in their field or industry. I'll ask probing questions to get them to share untold stories about their leadership journey and how they built and sustained their professional network. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E.
This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.